0: Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Alan Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Alan Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music.
1: November 11th, 2018 was the centennial of the armistice, the treaty that ended World War I. When planning our season, this this was brought up, and uh, we very much wanted to uh, to honor the armistice and and to pay tribute to all those brave soldiers in our country and around the world who gave their lives in that terrible terrible war, uh, and also uh, recall the history of of that time. Uh, world War One, frankly, is is somewhat forgotten in our in our day because it was in fact hundred years ago, and they're not survivors at this point really, and so we built a whole concert month, really, uh, around this idea of celebrating uh, the Armistice. And we knew we wanted a major monumental work as the centerpiece of this celebration. We we had a whole bunch of different events. The Musicians of Malwick, our friends, joined us for some concerts. We had a, a, a special event at the Cathedral of All Saints. Uh, we had different lectures and discussions and Proctor's Theater, where we were performing the work, uh, showed uh, two or three different films from, from that era. Uh, and So we had a great kind of month-long mini festival commemorating the armistice. And we decided to put this great, great work at the center of all these celebrations. So on Saturday, November 10th, with a cast of many hundreds of people, we performed one of the most amazing uh, works that deals with war and frankly, one of the great pacifist statements in the history of music, Benjamin Britten's War Requiem. The War Requiem was written in 1962 and it was really written in commemoration of the rededication of the cathedral in Coventry, England, which had been destroyed in World War II. uh, the, the old cathedral that had been bombed was an incredible kind of visual statement against war. It was really the shell of the this beautiful 14th century cathedral. And miraculously, just the tower next to it was, was left entirely intact. And so the city of Coventry decided to build another, a new modern cathedral next to the, the ruins. And when that building was commemorated in 1962, they asked the greatest of all living English composers if he would be willing to write a work commemorating this, this rededication or this new dedication of the, of the new cathedral. And that composer, of course, was Benjamin Britten, known throughout the 20th century for a great number of works. uh, The Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra, Sinfonia de Requiem, particularly his great operas like Peter Grimes and Billy Budd. Britten had actually for a long time been wanting to write a major choral work. Uh, He wanted to write a requiem, but he wanted to write a requiem unlike any other. He wanted to to write a requiem which really reflected his beliefs about war. Uh, Britten was an avowed pacifist and actually had uh, been living in the United States at the start of World War II. And uh, he, he and his partner, his long, long-time life life partner, Peter Pierce, the great tenor who sang so many roles in Britain's works, were living in the U.S. with the poet W.H. Auden in New York City at the time that war broke out in England in 19, I guess in 1939, 1939 to 1941, uh, and they stayed a little while in the U.S., but then eventually felt that they really had to go back to England and, and wanted to go back to England and, and, and help in whatever ways they could. But they went back and immediately applied for conscientious objector status. Britain had been a lifelong pacifist and even though he hated Nazism and hated what was happening in Europe, he really did not feel that he could fight in in battle so he, uh, he he and Piers were both eventually granted conscientious objector status although it took Britain a long time to go through the process this work is really kind of the summation of, of his strongly held beliefs from childhood that uh, war is just a, a purely evil thing and so what Britain did is he took the traditional Latin Requiem mass the the prayer for the dead that exists in the Catholic liturgy and he uh, instead of just creating music to that, a la Giuseppe Verdi's Requiem or Mozart's Requiem or the hundreds and thousands of Requiems that came before, he also took alongside the six parts, the six main pillars of the the Requiem, he identified a group of poems by a, a great English war poet who, who was writing during the First World War. Wilfred Owen was a young soldier, himself a pacifist, who ultimately decided to to fight in World War I and uh, wrote searingly vivid poetry about being directly in battle, and about the feelings of soldiers in battle, and about the horrors on the ground. These works are, are filled with incredible immediacy, and they're very direct and, and and really searingly painful in the way they depict battle, and they depict the way the soldiers feel when they are in the midst of, of this kind of challenge. So Britain went through the complete oeuvre of Wilfred Owen's poems, uh, which is not that large a body of poetry, because very tragically Owen died exactly one week before the armistice, uh, and his family, in fact, was was notified on Armistice Day, the day that the Germans finally surrendered, essentially to to the Allied forces. Uh, so a very tragic um, story of, of Wilfred Owen, and yet there still existed this body of of great, great poems uh, about war. And And Britain had been reading these works for some years and was really captivated by them and knew he wanted to use them in a work and had thought about maybe a song cycle for peers. But when this offer of a, a major choral work came about, Britain decided that what he would do would be to identify ultimately turned out, nine poems or parts of poems by Wilfred Owen. And he, in essence, interstitched between the the very traditional Requiem Mass liturgy, between the the text of the Requiem Mass uh, in Latin. He dropped in these nine different poems or, or parts of poems by Wilfred Owen. So you have this incredible back and forth, this juxtaposition between this very monumental ritualistic prayer to be saved from death, and then cutting almost cinematically back and forth from that to these very intimate scenes, essentially on the battlefield, thus creating really the most extraordinary mass of all times, and certainly the most extraordinary anti-war statement, I think, in history. The other thing that that is is fascinating about this work is that Britain was very uh, structural and in a way kind of rigorous about the way he set up the piece. The work is for really monumental forces, a a large chorus, a traditional chorus, as well as a a boys' chorus, traditional kind of church boys' chorus, which actually sits up in a balcony and sings only at three or four points in the piece, but kind of like a, a chorus of angels, these beautiful young voices. And then, in addition to the two choruses, big full symphony orchestra, which plays always with the, the large chorus, and then also sort of to the side, and in our performance it happened to be just in front, a little chamber orchestra of 12 solo virtuoso instrumentalists. And these 12 solo instrumentalists always and essentially only play with two of the three soloists. There, there are three vocal soloists, a soprano, a tenor, and a baritone. And the soprano sort of leads the big chorus. She's almost, I always think of like the, the Statue of Liberty or the Avenging Angel. She's this great kind of very uh, dramatic and formalistic kind of rallying cry person who is forever sort of instigating the next part of of the larger Latin drama. And she always sings in in Latin along with the chorus. But the two men... Always and only sing in English, and they're down on the front next to this chamber orchestra, and they only sing the Wilfred Owen poems. So you have these two gentlemen, the two male soloists singing in English with this little extravagantly orchestrated but but kind of taught tight little 12 member virtuoso ensemble juxtaposed against the soprano with her big fabulous voice and the giant chorus and then the the lovely ethereal boys chorus so not only are the texts incredibly jarringly different but the way he sets the texts and the and the forces for which he set the texts are very different and that's I think what makes the the, the power of these back and forths between the two sets of, of texts so so dramatic and so powerful so just Just as we feel like we're about to be saved or like we're about to be damned or whatever we may be in the larger narrative of the traditional Requiem Mass, in step, these two very authentic contemporary protagonists, the the two gentlemen who sing some unbelievably painful or powerful thing about the nature of war as it actually exists. So that's a bit about the, the sort of orchestrational, organizational structure of the piece. In terms of the the larger architectural structure, the, the way the piece is laid out is it's in six parts played without interruption. The Requiem aeternam. for those of you who who know your your Latin masses, this will be very familiar to you. First movement, Requiem Eternum, Rest in Peace. Second movement, Dies Irae, the Day of Judgment, Day of Anger, Day of, of, of Fire, in which all of Uh, Hell breaks loose, essentially. Offertorium, then the Sanctus, the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God, and finally Liberame, free me, O God. Of these six movements, the second and the sixth are the most extensive. The Dies Irae is this incredible, probably 20-minute long uh, statement about the the fires of hell. And the Liberame, the last section, is also very, very extensive. And finally, I should add that at the end, the very end, all the forces finally join together, and uh, the, the full chorus, the children's chorus, the soloists, all three of them, and both orchestras join together uh, in this beautiful peroration that, that ends the work somewhat, hopefully, I think the poems are rather self-explanatory, particularly the, the English language poems, and the uh, the, the Latin parts are, are fairly traditional. There are two places that I think are, are particularly noteworthy in terms of the poetry that I, I feel are like the emotional core of the piece. The first one is at the very end of this. Um, second section, the the gigantic uh, Dies Irae, and and after all this fire and brimstone, hell and falling into the fiery pit uh, of of damnation, there's a moment where the tenor starts singing a, a Wilfred Owen poem, and, and it's um, the poem is Move him into the sun, gently its touch awoke him once, at home whispering of fields unsown. Always it woke him, even in France. And it's this incredibly beautiful and and sad poem about, you know, wishing this young soldier, a friend of mine who is dead, just by moving him into the sun, we could somehow awaken him again. And that's a a very powerful moment in the piece, leading to a a final kind of prayer of of peace that happens really three times in the piece, at the very end of the first movement, at the end of the second movement, right here at the end of the the Dies Irae, and then at the very, very end of the piece, at the end of the Liberame. The other really, I think, most amazing moment in the piece is near the very, very end, uh, the very last big chunk of of Owen's poetry at the end of Libera Me, when when the the forces are begging God to, to free me from the fires of hell. And there's this amazing poem that again is begun by the tenor. It seems that out of battle I escaped down some profound dull tunnel long since scooped through granites which titanic wars had groined. Yet also there encumbered sleepers groaned too fast in thought or death to be bestirred. Then, as I probed them, one sprang up and stared with piteous recognition in fixed eyes, lifting distressful hands as if to bless, and no guns thumped or down the flues made moan. Strange friend, I said, here is no cause to mourn. And as the two soldiers, the living and the dead, uh, interact it becomes clear that, well, it becomes clear that, that, that this next line is where it's all leading. The dead soldier, the, the, the baritone, says, I am the enemy you killed, my friend. I knew you in this dark, for so you frowned yesterday through me as you jabbed and killed. I parried but my hands were loath and cold. And then together they begin the, the last section of the entire piece, Let Us Sleep Now, this beautiful balm that uh, the music is like a balm that, that covers everything with, with sort of gentle resignation. And the piece comes to a very beautiful but kind of in, inconsolable ending where, where it's not really resolved and not really okay and yet uh, it's an amazing journey that one takes through this piece as it goes back and forth between the, the traditional view of death and salvation and the, the the grim reality of life in war. I should mention also that uh, when Britain premiered the work, he was having a shoulder injury actually so uh, he conducted the chamber orchestra and he had a fellow conductor, Meredith Davies, wonderful young British conductor of the day, conduct the large orchestra. So the piece was done with two conductors and a tradition a tradition arose uh, because of that of these two different conductors. But in fact a little bit later, Britain made a recording of the work and he conducted all the forces. So these days now it's more common that a single conductor conducts the work but occasionally it's done by two conductors. But 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 Britain was very eager to have specific solo artists. So he had Piers, Peter Piers, his his life partner as the tenor. Um, Most of his tenor parts were written for Piers, and Piers was a glorious, brilliant, very elegant English singer. But then he invited the German baritone, the great German baritone Dietrich Fischer-Diskau to sing the baritone role, and he also invited Rostropovich's wife, the great Russian soprano Galina Vishnevskaya, to sing the soprano role. Vishnevskaya could not get out of Russia, out of the Soviet Union, and so at the first performance, the great English soprano Heather Harper sang, but on the recording, the Russian was able to show up and and sing. And and Britain's idea was that he wanted uh, representatives of three of the major powers that had been involved in, in the Second World War to be represented. So this idea of getting beyond the enmity of these different countries, the German baritone, the English tenor, and the Russian soprano. In our performance, we have three brilliant solo artists, uh, very proud to welcome back to the Capital Region a Capital Region native. Emily Savoy was born in Schenectady and grew up in Duanesburg, subsequently went down to New York City and went to Juilliard and then was in the Met Young Artist Program and now is singing all around the world. We're very proud that she's back in the region with us. A brilliant young tenor. Tyler Nelson took the tenor role, and uh, and also very, very brilliant young baritone who's actually currently finishing his master's degree at the the Juilliard School, young Polish baritone, Hubert Zapur. The chorus is our own Capital Region's Albany Pro Musica, led by José Daniel Flores Carballo. And uh, we're also delighted to be joined by the brilliant young singers of the Cathedral of All Saints, conducted by their inspired director, Woodrow Bynum, who I must say, was in fact, my co-conductor because he was up in the balcony with the the boys chorus, leading them quite brilliantly during the the performance. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony. It is conducted by me, David Alan Miller, in this monumental masterpiece of English music, Benjamin Britten's War Requiem.
0: The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Alan Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copland Fund for Music. Supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.